Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Uh, hello, I'm Dr. Adam Brofsky. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh and co-director of the Comprehensive Breast Cancer Center of the UPMC Hillman Cancer Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And today we're going to talk about distinguishing between high and low quality real-world evidence, a journal club for the real world. So I think, you know, the real question that we always ask in interpreting studies is, do the observed results represent the true effect? And that means truth in the study. Um, and I think randomized clinical trials help us do that. I think that you know, are the results of the study true or are they an artifact of the way the study was designed? And I think we always have to analyze data in that way. And, and you know, when we have a big practice changing clinical trial, that's what happens. We all look at the data and try to figure it out. And the other option is, are the observed results applicable in other settings? That's truth in real life. In other words, can I extrapolate the results of that large, really important practice changing uh, clinical trial to real life? And so again, when we look at those two questions, randomized clinical trials are really good. I think that, you know, they really are high. They're really, because there's really hopefully no bias because of randomization, we, you know, we can really get to the truth of a study. And I think um, the problem of trying to get to the truth in a real-world evidence database is that there could be a lot of bias. And if we don't adjust for bias properly, we may draw the wrong conclusions about the study. I think when we look at truth in real life, randomized clinical trials really don't help us that much because they clearly, you know, by their very nature, are very controlled. I mean, they're patients with poor performance status that can't get on the study. Maybe they're, they're certain minorities or certain age groups are unrepresented, uh, and that's really tough. Uh, but on the other hand, in a real-world evidence study, that's the whole idea is that we're going to see how patients are really treated in the real world by real physicians in real-life situations. Uh, the data is messier, but it does give us a little bit kind of more about truth in real life. So again, the, the you know, the, the bias can happen in randomized trials and real world evidence studies. I think randomized trials clearly are the gold standard because we have random al treatment allocation and, you know, confounding uh, can be measured. But the problem is that, you know, it depends on what baseline characteristics you have. You can't have an infinite number of baseline characteristics in a randomized clinical trial. So, you know, that, that really can, you know, that's tough. It's hard to kind of, you know, you hope that the un, the unknown, you know, the unmeasured characteristics are randomly assorted. Where real-world evidence is a little bit harder. I think it could be a lot of bias. I mean, again, as we said before, physicians can treat patients that are less sick or more sick with a particular drug and overestimate or underestimate the value of that drug's effects. And so that's really kind of what we really have to kind of be uh, careful about because, Real-world evidence is not blinded evidence, and I think that we have to be very careful of that. And so I think we have things called propensity scores and propensity score matching, and kind of what that does is, you know, it kind of matches the patients based, you know, and tries to kind of make it kind of almost a randomized clinical trial by matching the patients the best they can to kind of really basically measure the probability of being assigned a specific treatment you know, that's given what's known about a patient's confounding factors. And so that really tries to kind of even out both groups of the trial, even though they're not randomized groups, they're two separate groups being studied at the same time, in the same time frame. So it tries to do that. 
And there are lots of tools that assess the the quality of these real-world evidence trials. I mean, I think that there's a variety of checklists and questionnaires that we as academic oncologists use all the time um, that are really interesting, this I-score questionnaire or an I-score checklist, this GRACE checklist, uh, the Robbins checklist. And I think that what's going to happen as we get more of real-world evidence uh, g- data generation and as we use it more and more in clinical practice, I think the journals are going to require these checklists or, or some form of it before we publish the data. And again, as we as oncologists, you know, as we look at some of these real-world evidence trials, I think one of the things we're going to be asking ourselves is, has have any one of these checklists uh, been actually uh, uh, performed? It's kind of almost like, um, you know, those consort diagrams we see for randomized clinical trials. I suspect we're going to be seeing one of these checklists uh, when we um, when we uh, actually uh, evaluate and, and a uh, real-world evidence study. So again, I think, um, you know, talking about real-world evidence evaluations, I think real-world evidence is at risk for bias due to lack of randomization and blinding. I think there are multiple confounding variables, the biggest one being physician choice. I think physicians, you know, we choose how a patient is going to be treated. The protocol isn't telling us that. And there's a lot that goes into that decision based on our own experience with a particular drug or an experience with a particular kind of patient. Um, I think that leads to differences in baseline characteristics. Uh, one thing we really didn't talk about is a lack of data. You know, you know, when we look at medical records, uh, there may be data fields that are important to baseline characteristics that we don't have. And you'll always see in, in some of this, it says other or unknown, and that could be as high as 30 or 40% in some trials. But we do have statistical methods like propensity score matching to try to minimize bias. And we have tools and checklists uh, to try that exist uh, to try to help us evaluate real-world evidence credibility. And so uh, with that, I'd just like to tell you uh, again, thank you for listening to me and uh, for this section. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.